the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey everyone, welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You are joining us either from your radio or a podcast. Both are acceptable. (laughs) We are pro both of them, yes. (laughs) Is there a third option I'm leaving out unintentionally? I don't think so. Maybe you can listen online at the website. That's so true. Kind of like or the podcast via telepathy. I don't want to rule that out sure, either. That's sure. a viable prophetic option. word. <laughs> <laughs> prophetic word in the form of a two-hour radio show. <laughs> like okay, okay, Lord, I get it. That's like, totally Old Testament right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I disagree. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> I want to let that one go. All right, so you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, eleven sixty hope dot com slash the Common Good. That's also where the live stream link is if you're uh, not in our geographical sphere. Also on Twitter, at Common Good Talk. Plus, as I mentioned, uh, we are podcasted. So any uh, subscriptions or likings or ratings or reviews or any other synonyms, that actually does help us out a lot. And uh, if you wouldn't mind just sharing that with a friend or a stranger, that would mean a lot. And uh, let's dive right into a story. Happy that, story. Yeah, no, golly, man. true at all. Even just the photo... I mean, most photos of him are actually pretty upsetting in mm-hmm. general. But uh, anyway, most people, I think, are aware of at least some of the accusations leaned against Harvey Weinstein. And uh, that continues to kind of build steam, particularly yesterday with now uh, multiple accounts and multiple accusations. And uh, why don't you fill us in a little bit here? Yeah, he's uh, he's kind of become rightfully so kind of the face of the not just the Me Too movement, but just – I, I wish I had a better way of saying this. Just like the the uh, the dangers of power in Hollywood, and yeah. then that has made its way through, unfortunately, politics and power, church and power, all sorts right. of other things. So, right. uh, reading from the L.A. Times, it says uh, Harvey Weinstein was char- charged with four more counts of rape and sexual battery in Los Angeles, deepening the legal peril faced by the fallen Hollywood mogul, who is often seen as the Archiavellian of the Me Too movement. The new charges stem from accusations brought by two women who say Weinstein attacked them in hotels in L.A. and Beverly Hills in 2013. Court documents show the incidents described in Southern California resemble dozens of other accusations made against Weinstein across the globe in recent years. And so the, the story is just here. Here's what when I hear about Harvey Weinstein, I'm almost become numb to it, which is sad. Then you, hmm. you read these articles again and you're like, oh, my gosh, this guy. That's right. And, you know. I suppose, in all fairness, he's still claiming his innocence, but um, the the evidence seems to be undeniable uh, that this was a man uh, who used his power and his uh, ability to control people's careers in Hollywood. We already know that to make it in Hollywood is like, a, you know, uh, you, you're one in a million, right? And 
and that he had the ability to make careers and destroy careers. Right. And so he used his power uh, in just the darkest of ways. But but kind of him being, I don't know if the word is caught or exposed and the whole Me Too movement beginning really did the same to people like, you know, Bill Cosby, to other politicians. And and it, like we said, it made its way down to the church in the church, uh, the church to movement. And so uh, I hope, uh, assuming that these things are true, I hope he goes away for a long time and um, uh, and that there is some sort of le- lessons to really trivializes it, but but that some sort of correction uh, continues to be made so that guys like him can't use their power to prey on young women like he did. Sounds like the word might be reckoning. Yeah, it's a like better the, word. That's I good. feel like in a lot of ways. course correction sounds way too light. <laughs> uh, yeah, understated for yeah, sure. Yeah. I think a reckoning is is some of what we're seeing. And I, you know, been reading a couple of different reports and it looks like, you know, he, based on even just what's been filed so far, he could face up to 25 years. Mm-hmm. So that, I mean, that could be the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. I, it is, I will say what you were saying though, that because this was, when all this broke is 2017 and Again, I want to give fair warning because the accounts that are – at least in the one article that we shared on the Facebook page are pretty graphic. They are. And it's not just, um, oh, he was inappropriate. Like he put his hand on her back somewhere. It was like aggressive sexual assault followed with, in some cases, at least accusations of threats of murder. Um, I mean it, it is like really, really dark stuff and it can't be – overstated how much power he held in yeah. Hollywood. And that's kind of where I want to go because yeah. I, I think, again, maybe reckoning isn't the right word, but it feels like since 2017 um, there has been, I think appropriately so, a a courage to speak out against this kind of atrocity, right? both in Hollywood and the church. And, um, I, yeah, it has been hard for me – to even listen to other men sometimes like, man, it's hard to be a guy right now. I'm like, <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's not. Um, don't be a sex criminal like that. That that will be right. You know I mean, like this, this bizarre sort of like, oh, gosh, all these. I don't know if you've heard any of that type of complaining or I, I think it's at least implied. And, and there could be a season where the pendulum swings for like the pendulum often swings, you know, back and then you find that middle ground. But. Uh, I would call that rightfully so. Yeah, right. <laughs> the, the, when you read accounts of people like Harvey Weinstein, and you read accounts of Bill Cosby, and you read accounts of Bill Hybels, and you read these kind of accounts across the board, um, it, it, it there needs to be a reckoning, as you put it, and uh, and and I I'm you know it begins by by actual justice right. for the victims of Harvey Weinstein seeing him go away. It begins by actual justice for the victims of Bill Cosby or who named the person right right, right, right. Uh, and as as people of faith we need to be ones championing this justice not oh this is you know X Y or Z but but go no no we need to be we need to be people who are who are standing up for the for the victims and the powerless in these situations and we need to. Uh, do our part to uh, to make whatever changes necessary in our own lives, in our own churches, but also right. culturally, so that these types of guys can't pray. I mean, yes, it's awesome that he's being called to to, to justice now, but a lot of these things happened in the seventies. Yeah, right. Like, so what is it about the culture that allowed that to go on for forty plus years? Right. Uh, what allowed you know uh, 
Bill Cosby to be America's dad while all these people were like, wink, wink, we know what he's doing right. behind the scenes. Or whatever. You know, name your person. Well, that's the wink, wink that drives me crazy. Yeah. Because especially in the case of Harvey, it was like, you know, the secret right out in the open. And exactly. That's what's heartbreaking, especially in the church world when people are like, yeah, we knew he had a thing with the secretary. Yeah, we knew there was a little bit of abuse of power, but – Man, people kept coming to church yeah. and it kept going to the right? Like, this? Yeah. It's sort of this like pseudo, not even pseudo, pretty blatant justification. I'm like, well, yeah, but if the end result though or if the yeah. product they create or are responsible for, that's to me what is so frustrating. And I think we would all do well to probably better educate ourselves because I hear people a lot of times say like, well, why would you, why would you not bring up this accusation then? Why would yep. you sit on it so long? I was like, I don't think you understand psychological trauma. Yep. And that's another aspect of this that I think is so frightening to see this this many accusations and to know like oh, there's still probably a lot of people who are still too afraid to open their mouths yes. and we need to pray for them too and uh, and I think as as church people if if you're a part of a church or a church leader in particular we need to be diligent and proactive not just oh shoot something happened I think we need to not point our finger just at Hollywood but also at ourselves yeah I totally all right I want to I want to take a right turn then let's talk about some positivity uh Mm -hmm. this article says that dads now spend three times as much time with their kids than previous generations and i'm curious to know your thoughts in particular in this article that's coming up next here in the common good on am 1160 hope for your life hey everyone welcome back to the common good my name is ian simpkins along with brian Fromm. you can find us online at 1160hope.com slash the common good on facebook the common good radio show on twitter at Common Good Talk. Also, we are podcasted. We are podcasted? Every day. Or we are a podcast, which is more... Mm, I'm, I'm thinking both. We've been saying both. I don't know that we are podcasted is actually even the yeah, proper way to say it. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> save them. They've been podcasted. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> like bounding gag. And exactly. Been, oh, no. They've been, been podcasted. podcasted. What would that actually mean? It's been digitized. I picture my arms. I'm not able to move them. Wow. I <laughs> got dark pretty quick. Shoot. Well, if anyone's like a uh, an English buff and wants to let us know if that's even accurate or not, we would really appreciate that. Say the two guys who speak for a living. <laughs> yeah. But don't you ever – haven't you ever like um, – seen a sentence or if you can think back to when you're taking tests in high school, like which of the sentence, which of these sentences yes. is accurate? You're like, they both sound perfectly normal. I would use both of I them. I would, right, right, which does not at all mean anything. But, okay, so I mentioned this before the break. Uh, this article out of Motherly says, dads now spend three times as much time with their kids than previous generations. Before I get into it, um, do you think that's true? Yeah, I, I, that's when I read this, uh, I was surprised by the numbers. Okay. Uh, but I do anecdotally feel like the dads that I know, uh, I don't know any of them really, uh, who are real disconnected from their kids by choice. Like they're, here, let's put it this way like the TV shows and what, how like the 50s and the 60s was portrayed. Yeah. Was always mom raised the kids and dad kind of, you know, made the money and then leave dad alone and dad might, and, and, you know, even to the point, right, generations past where it was like the dad wasn't even in the room when the baby was born or this. Right, right. And so I think anecdotally, at least, it feels different to me. Um, but the research here is really encouraging. Hmm. Uh, and some of this, I'm sure there's they get into the reasons. There's lots of different reasons. But I would like to think that one of the reasons is dads are just doing a better job or not a better job. 
uh, but the expectations are for them to be uh, more involved in their kids' lives. And and I can't imagine. Also, as an aside, could you imagine like not being involved in your kid's life? Like being like, I don't want to be deeply involved in this. I want to leave this to their mom. I just I can't imagine that. And maybe that's a good thing because you and I are raising our kids in a culture where that's like not like that's that's not even a thought that you would have. So well, then I want to be fair to previous generations yes. too because. Our, um, so I tried to correct myself when I said better. Like, well, yeah. yeah, and I and and the way that you said, I can't even imagine. Like that is partly a result of your worldview and your framework and the yes. culture that you are a part of. So, if you were to like hop in a time machine sixty years ago and ask any random dad there, then hey, do you not want to be involved in your child's life? I don't think any of them would be like, Truth. no. I think they would be like, oh, that's. I work hard, and uh, the expectation is that I don't do anything. Like I, <laughs> I don't, I don't know that they would outright say I don't want to be involved. It would just be a different part of the article goes on to explain the uh, the sort of shift in egalitarian uh, perspective and philosophy of parenting. But like I found this stat interesting. This isn't we're not talking forties and fifties. It says back in 1982, mm-hmm. a whopping 43 percent of fathers admitted they'd never changed a diaper. But today that number is down to about three percent. That's a massive, yeah. massive shift from 1982 to today. It also goes on to say that um, one recent study found modern dads devote 30 more minutes to daily household chores than their own fathers did. Mm. So it's not just a matter of um, how they're willing to change a diaper or they're willing to clean spit up, but they're actually just taking more ownership, more partnership, more participation in sort of the activities of the home, yep. which um, – yep. I don't know. I think I, I, I don't think I anticipated that jump being that drastic from 43% to 3% seems like a ton, um, which I think is interesting. And I, and I hope that this is encouraging because I think a lot of times, and maybe this has always been this way, but like sometimes dads just kind of get a a bum rap and like, Oh, dumb old dad. And we see that in depictions of cartoons and television shows. And, and according to this article, at least it seems like, Oh man, a a good deal of them are, uh, are doing a better job. It does go on to talk about, (laughs) <laughs> what is that? it calls hashtag dad guilt, um, which I think is an interesting – it's an interesting concept because it feels like – you know, I'm new to parenting uh, relatively still. So I hear a lot about mom guilt, which I think is very, very real. But I don't hear a whole lot of conversations around dad guilt. Do you? Uh, not at all. In fact, when I read dad guilt, the, the most guilt I feel as a dad is when I'm not able to be home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like right, right. Uh, and And that's – I, I think that's what a lot of us as dads feel, this orientation towards like I, I, I'm trying to create margin to be more home, more home. Uh, but, yeah, no, dad guilt is uh, hashtag dad guilt. That's a new one. I haven't seen that one before. So this is what I think is interesting, though. And he's talking about dad guilt. Um, this one woman, Jill Whitney, who's a licensed marriage and family therapist, previously told Motherly that a dad today may compare himself to his own father and see the ways he's much more involved than his dad was when his partner may see – the way uh, the ways things aren't really even. So like there's a weird kind of um, dichotomy and disconnect between like the dad comparing his level of involvement to his dad and feeling, oh, I'm doing pretty good. But his spouse or partner is maybe not uh, not feeling as encouraged by that, which I think is also a lot of this comes down to communication, doesn't yes, it? Like, yes. are, are we on the same page? Is this being broken down evenly? Are we comfortable with, you know, the way that things are? Running or not, and I don't. I, I don't know if that's a normal conversation for people to have. It's certainly, one I would encourage people to try to you know at least engage with. But it's tricky, right? Because everyone's bringing their own family of origin stuff and their own expectations, sure. and often they're unspoken. And I just found this whole article pretty interesting. It is, 
And it is a matter of perspective, too, because, can, okay, you've got kids in diapers right now uh-huh. yep. uh, as we speak. Right, and right. Uh, could In theory. <laughs> could you even imagine a scenario where you're like, this is what I mean by perspective. Like, it's just I can't imagine a scenario, and I'm assuming the same is in your house, where you were like, Katie, I'm not. I'm not gonna. Ch- I don't do diapers. I don't do diapers. I don't do yeah. diapers. Like my wife would have thrown those diapers at me. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> like, well, in all fairness, so part to you, of this is cultural. I, uh, like, yeah, like you said like generational. I should say kind of expectation because you know when I read some of this, I'm like, I, I just a dad. Like I part of my kid's life. You know, right. I, I play an important role, and obviously things change over the generations. So I, I grew up in a huge family, though. I'm the oldest of seven. So like, I even. I mean, I. I've been changing diapers since I was like 13. So for a lot of guys, it's not a, oh, I don't do diapers. It's like they're really squeamish or they're really scared of it. Or, you know, for me, at least I I went into it being like, my diapers aren't that big. I don't like doing them. It's not like enjoyable. But for me, I don't think I brought the same level of like, oh, I could never, oh, I could never do that. I was just, I've been around it, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think that maybe informed some of it. But uh, I do believe the first diaper I ever changed was my kids. Oh, really? I think that's a true statement. But I, I think the takeaway for me here is like just the headliner, the headline, and then the first line that says, uh, dads are spending three times as much with the time with their children as men did two generations ago. Uh, and they're doing a lot more during that time. If you're a dad out there, regardless of the age of your kids, like obviously work gets in the way, other things get in the yeah. way, but like prioritize spending time with your kids and your wife. Like just. You're now. I don't know. I I I don't think you're ever gonna regret that when your kids, you know, go off to college or they move out one day, and you're not gonna look back like, man, I really wish I hadn't spent that much time with right. my children. Right. Like it could be hard, but like uh, it says here, this kind of shared parenting helps your marriage. Like, yeah. how many of us have had those uh, those tension points about who's doing what around the home? Like, just invest yourself in your marriage and your kids. And I don't think you're going to get to the end of your time, end of your life, or even now, you're not going to regret that. Well, and I think also a shout out to the single dads out there. I don't feel like single yeah. dads are are uh, are talked about That's nearly often enough. And again, realizing that a lot of the infrastructures don't necessarily um, they don't necessarily support dads being as involved as some of them apparently want to be. And uh, and the article goes on to say that a lot of them are really conflicted because they want to climb the corporate ladder. Also, mm-hmm. to the stay at home dads, right? Like yeah. that. That's a uh, that's an arrangement that we're seeing more and more of, and and I, I think in general it's a just it's an important conversation. We talked a little bit, I think, yesterday about um, some of the need for the church to, and it goes on to talk about how important it is that we even see like celebrities who are, you know, assuming like a hands-on approach to fathering. Those things matter, and I think as pastors or leaders or you know people even in your community, like uh, that's a good that's a good thing to model and to show to our community. I think absolutely. All right, so this one might get us in trouble. <laughs> Are you looking at it right now? I'm looking at it right now. Uh, coming up next. Gloves off, baby. Here's the headline. <laughs> this isn't me saying it. But the headline is, hate to break it to you, but you're the reason your life sucks so much. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. Also... Producer John, he's here. I don't feel like he gets enough props, What's right? Up, John? We just we just introduce ourselves, and that's unfair because he's here as much as we are, right? Way to go, way to go, John. Way to go, John. <laughs> Appreciate it, guys. Appreciate Shout it. Shout out, represent. Yeah. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show, eleven sixty hope dot com slash the Common Good, on Twitter at Common Good Talk, and wherever it is you get your podcast. I find myself wanting to 
like talk even faster to see if the people who typically listen at twice the speed can still keep up. Like if they're listening right, right now and they're like, is he talking faster than normal? They're looking down like, did I hit one too many speeds? <laughs> yeah, I? Right. I don't think it goes past two. The other day I was listening to a podcast, not our own, and I accidentally, when hitting play, hit like slow down. So not knowing it was uh-huh. on half speed. And I was like, what's going on in my head? What is going? And then I looked down I'm like, oh, that's what happened. Well, you said months ago that you were going to do that with our show. You'd listen to the show. To you really do. I make it's... so many promises on this show that you don't keep. <laughs> this is a dangerous place to make promises. Year two, I'm going to do them. This is <laughs> year two. Brian's <laughs> resolution is to listen to himself at half the speed. All right, so uh, fair warning. Nah, not fair warning. This is a, a title, though, that I don't think I would write this way at all. But uh, sometimes I like to just pick stuff that's a little controversial that Brian and I may not agree on or we might not agree with the author. But the headline is, uh, hate to break it to you, but you are the reason your life sucks so much. Which, again, the – it should be I hate to break it to you, right? Grammatically, that's not even a great (laughs) – Out of all of that, you're worried most about the grammar. I'm just saying it's – grammar matters and it's a headline to an actual article and – all right, whatever. So so that kind of the first big bolded statement here – is the only thing in the world holding you back from achieving greatness is, in fact, you. And I am assuming you've heard sentiments like that before. You've seen them on inspirational posters or in commencement speeches. What do you think about that general idea um, just just as a rule? Uh, I Yeah, I think it sets you up for, uh, for some struggle and some failure because, A, we got to define what greatness is here, sure. right? Like if this means worldwide fame or all the all – the, the job that you dreamed that you'd always have or the bank account you always dreamed you'd have or uh, the spouse you you always thought you'd have, whatever, whatever you see, the, the author needs to define greatness a little bit. And uh, because then that puts a whole lot of pressure on you because right. if in fact it's true that the only thing holding you back from uh, your dream job is you and then you don't achieve that, well, now you've got some personal baggage you've really got to deal with. Like, right. Oh, uh, you know, take it in the church world, right? The pastoral, the only thing in the world holding you back from that dream church that you've always dreamt of is you. And then yeah, right. the rest of the year is a struggle. And it's just, well, okay, now I'm the problem. Uh, so she goes on to make, I think, some points that have some validity about when we only focus on the negatives of our lives instead of what is positive. But as an overarching thing, I don't agree with the sentiment that the only thing in the world holding you back from yeah. achieving greatness is, in fact, you. Because let's be honest, there are people who are uh, uh, the only thing in the world. Let's talk globally. There is the majority of the world living in abject poverty, that that's what's holding them back from achieving what they want. Right. There are uh, system problems around the world that are holding you back. Like this is uh, the the only people that this could even remotely be true for are some people who, who don't have some things working against them that a lot of the world does. Well, and that's – I appreciate you saying that because it is a pretty um... – Western idea, the whole article, but it, you know, she, she goes on to say, life doesn't owe you or anyone anything. So don't expect it. Don't expect a million dollars to show up at your door. Don't expect to wake up with a rock and body. Don't expect to get your dream job if you don't ever put the work into it. And uh, I think that there is a lot of truth to that. You know, I've quoted Richard Rohr before who talks about um, our mind's proclivity to negativity. He says, when it comes to negative thoughts, our brains are like Velcro. When it comes to beautiful, positive things, our brains are like Teflon. Right. That it actually is like a spiritual discipline to uh, to actually focus in on that which is good around you. And it may seem trite and silly, but things like a gratitude journal, little things yeah. 
that we can implement into our life that uh, kind of help highlight the good stuff in our life. It is interesting to me how so much of the conclusion of this article is sort of like, yeah, just work really hard and uh, you're guaranteed then the thing that your heart desires. And we all know that's not true. Yep. But I do think there's some truth to say, hey, um, are you waking up every morning with a list of complaints mm-hmm. and then complaining and you drive to work and then in your head griping about the people that you work with right. and then when you get home complaining in your head or out loud about the size of your house or the year of your car or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like these th- are normal things. But part of what I think she's getting at is like that stuff actually has – impact into the kind of person yes. you're becoming and uh that i can i can actually probably sign off on yep and think about in your marriage if you're constantly just harping on what's wrong with uh in your relationship or what you uh, wish would be different about your spouse <clears throat> that's going to have a negative impact where i think she goes off the rails a little bit is like a is something like this right you will uh you will never mount to any form of greatness if you spend your life working some boring desk job that just drains you of your energy because you're too lazy to get out and search for something more fulfilling. That is no one's fault but your own. That's a pretty idealistic way of looking yeah, at right. employment, right? <laughs> right, Like right. There are some thoughts that have to go into that quote-unquote boring desk job. And then she goes on, you'll never travel the world and see Paris if you keep making excuses for why you can't go. Just buy the plane ticket, pack a bag, and go. Let the world shape you and open your eyes. Well, what if you can't afford that plane ticket? Right. <laughs> or what if there's other things that you have in your life? Like uh, there are seasons of life where that's more possible, um, you know, but I, I think putting it out there that, you know, Ian, everything that is negative about your life is your fault, uh, is, is that's a, that's a, I think that just goes too far. What I do like though, is, you know, if you want something, you have to work for it. I was having a conversation yeah. with a couple of buddies a day or two ago, and I think it's a John Maxwell quote. We debated it for a while. He said, um, something like anything worthwhile is uphill. And for probably an hour, we kind of picked it apart a little bit, more than you're probably supposed to pick apart yeah. a quote. Like he was probably saying in the context of a chapter or a yeah, lecture. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we, part of me agreed and talked about, yeah, we. it is important. This is one, you know, especially becoming a father, something I want to still in my boys. Like, hey, hard work matters. Yeah. Like, like hustle matters. Pushing through when it gets uncomfortable or difficult or messy or complicated we don't have enough of that in the world. It is yeah. important to work really hard. Sabbath rest and rhythms of margin are also really important. Mm-hmm. So when he, when, he, when Ma- Maxwell says stuff like uh, anything worthwhile is uphill, I'm like, I don't know. I've had just like a really sweet conversation over a cup of coffee with a friend that didn't mm-hmm. feel uphill at all and it felt yeah. totally worthwhile. So my friend was like, well, I don't think that's what he's talking about. And that's, <laughs> and that's where you get into you know picking apart a quote. Parsing John Maxwell. Right, probably <laughs> isn't totally great, but I – I do like this general sentiment of like, yeah, it's worth showing up and working hard. I don't like at the end here. It says, believe in yourself when no one else does so you can look back and say, I told you so. <laughs> if that's the engine behind the whole thing, the motivation is so that you can tell all your haters, I yeah. told you so, that's not going to fulfill anything. That's- at the very least, this author is a self-confident person. <laughs> or maybe not. Maybe maybe or, she's really overcoming. Or writing self-confidently, right? Right. I, I just think it's dangerous. She, uh, she writes, you'll never be happy if you're constantly looking at the negatives. I think that's true. Hmm. But then she goes on to say, you are the reason you're unhappy. You're the reason you're stuck in a rut and your relationships are poor and you're constantly criticizing others and looking for more. That's all on you. 
that's a, I think that's a dangerous sentiment. So it's interesting with most articles we read, there's certainly nuggets in here that I'm like, yeah, you know, if, when I only focus on the negatives, right. Let's say it has a really detrimental effect upon my life. And it, quite frankly, the Bible has things to say that, right. Say to that. But then to say every problem in your life is your fault and you're the reason you're not getting past them, I think is, is, is not helpful. I do like the paragraph though, where she says, you're not going to lose weight. If you don't change your eating habits, you're not going to improve your health. If you don't eat more vegetables and exercise, you'll not get smarter or broaden your horizons. If you're unwilling to learn from others and read. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of the, uh, the John Ortberg quote. And he says, uh, habits eat willpower for breakfast. Mm. Like what are the rhythms that we're setting up in place? Well, we often think I'm just going to will myself yeah. to be a better person one day. He's like, no, no, no. Start taking small steps now to uh, to actually head in the direction that you want to head. And I think uh, overall, what grade? What grade would we give this article? I would give it a B minus. B minus. All right. Yeah. That's probably where I'd land. Some helpful stuff in it, but uh, some uh, some stuff that I think. Some also total pagan heresy. So it's a little dangerous. <laughs> some total pagan heresy. <laughs> all right. We should, we should have like a pagan heresy sound effect. We'll work on that. Uh, all right. Coming up next, here's an odd headline. Please don't judge my clean house. We're going to talk about that coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Brian Fromm along nope. with Ian Simpkins. You don't, you don't know my life. <laughs> I know my name. <laughs> oh, touche. Remember when – who who was saying that we sounded similar when we first my started the show? My youngest daughter. Does she still feel that way or does she not listen anymore? <laughs> I'll ask her though. But was, yeah, but, but early on, she was like, Dad, you and Ian, I can't tell you apart. I'm like, really? <laughs> I'm your father. I'm your father. I talk to you every day. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a friend, uh, my buddy Sam, who I met at a uh, a retreat a couple of years ago. We legitimately look very similar. Look similar. And sometimes when um, like if I post a video or a photo online, he'll text me and say, my daughter just saw the photo of you. And I was like, Daddy, when were you here? He's like, no, that's... That's my friend Ian. That's not me, honey. Like, no, Daddy, that's you. That's why you care. Uh, my wife Carrie and her older sister, uh, Amy. They, they have. They, like, if you looked at them side by side, you wouldn't think they look like each other. But yeah. when you catch a quick glimpse, sometimes I'll for, I'll be like, oh wait, no. <laughs> really? But when our kids were little, oh boy, they would confuse them sometimes. Yeah, that would be confusing. when they were babies. Babies, like they would. Oh, like, I never even thought about you know, that. Like our baby wouldn't go to other. Like I remember Madeline being a baby, not. Not wanting to go to anybody but Carrie. Yeah. But then she'd like for a, for a t- like she'd go to Amy and then all of a sudden realize, oh, wait, it's not mom. <laughs> I never even thought about how strange it must be for young kids like toddlers if their parent has an identical twin that doesn't oh, yeah. live near them. Like you don't see them very often. So like <laughs> – Wait a minute. <laughs> so if you're three and you're seeing like a clone of your mom for the first time, <laughs> what does that do to your little three-year-old brain? That's got to be – how did we get on this topic? Yes, I don't know. Oh, I introduced myself as you. That's how that happened. That is, and then I told you my daughter doesn't know my own voice. That's right. <laughs> well, this has nothing to do with what we just talked about, but that's sort of how it goes here. Um, here's the headline. Please don't judge my clean house. We've talked a little bit about who in your marriage is a little more um, like orderly, a little more interested in the – that's right. Cleanliness thing. But then when I threw that you is for the loop, person though, not named Brian. That's true. <laughs> but you guys, uh, you know, over 20 years, if yeah. I imagine you've developed some rhythms and some understanding. You're like, okay, you're more most inclined. Days, most, yes, right. Yes. I'm not saying you're doing it perfectly, but you've made it 20 years. There you go. I'm sure there's been conversations like, hey, yeah. I don't naturally think of this, but for the sake of like the health of our home, 
I'm yep. going to be a little more mindful of this. I told you uh, long ago, to our, our very first fight as a married couple, our first week of marriage after our honeymoon uh, was how long we could go before washing the dishes. So, yeah, we've been working on this for 20 <laughs> years now. <laughs> well, let me, I want to read a little bit of this article because yeah, I think it. It's, it is common, I think, uh, for people to talk about not wanting others to see their messy house. But this idea of please don't judge me for my clean house I thought was pretty interesting. So it says about once a month I have a mommy tantrum over my messy house. My husband arrives home from work to see the rage in my eyes, and he knows it's coming. I rant about the piles of everything all over the flat surfaces, the socks and granola bar wrapper discarded on the living room rug, and the stacks of dirty dishes. Then there's the five baskets of clean laundry that my family digs through rather than sorts and puts away. My husband's empathetic. As I've told him time and time again, I work, live, and play in the same space, our home. When it's a hot mess, I'm a hot mess. Uh, yes, I've heard all the cutesy sayings. Memories are made in messy houses or something like that. I should be too blessed to be stressed. Oh, and I should be thankful that I have a house to clean up, clothes to wash, and dishes to scrub. Uh, but she goes on and says, none of these cliche renderings eradicate my anxiety over a messy house. I will uh, hyper-focus on the granola bar wrapper stewing. Should I pick that up so I can move on, or do I wait for the offender to get home and tell them to pick up their trash? I've even done the whole wait and see. This is when a parent gets angry about an undone task and leaves it, waiting to see how long it takes before someone else, anyone else notices and decides to take responsibility. I don't recommend the strategy, FYI. It does not work. Have you employed that? Uh, you're nodding yes. This My is wife something. has employed this, <laughs> where she will leave something for the person, often me or one of the kids, obviously. Right. And then, but then you know it just makes her mad when uh, we don't see it. Like it's kind of a lose-lose for her. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so you pick up on the fact that she's... I'm. Let me just say, I'm a lot better than my children are yeah, at right. picking up after myself. Uh, but I've seen it like I've seen her have that inner battle of like, do I leave this, right, or do I do I leave it and it makes me frustrated that no one else is caring right, about right. it, or do I pick it up and therefore uh, not they don't see it the next time. So yeah, that makes the, sense. The, the struggle is real. Let's put it that way. Well, she she goes on to say, I've been uh, I've been anxious my entire life, receiving an official diagnosis of generalized anxiety disorder in my 30s. Trust me, I've tried to change, attempting to give those messes a nonchalant, oh, well, and proceeding to have a tickle fight with the kids. I can't do it. <laughs> the faking it until I make it. Uh, I've gotten 10 minutes into an activity with my kids, tops, before I hop to sweep up the kitchen floor. Messes provide me with a sense of chaos and dread. I don't like undone tasks, which only pile up on my ever-long to-do list. I, uh, I perseverate. I think that's a... I think that's probably supposed to be perseverance. <laughs> probably. Until I grow motivated enough to rage clean the pantry. If not me, who <laughs> else is going to toss the stale cereal in empty baggy boxes? <laughs> sure, there are chore charts and reward systems for kids to follow if that's your family's vibe. Yes, my husband is my equal partner. He does dishes, changes diapers, and cooks breakfast every Saturday morning. I wish I hadn't read that one. <laughs> <laughs> or said it out loud. <laughs> uh, we don't live in a 1950s patriarchal get-me-a-sandwich-in-a-cocktail kind of household. However... Because I am home more hours than anyone else in my family, sometimes the majority of the work falls on me. So we were talking about this yes. a little earlier in the show. She goes on to kind of talk about my house being clean is something that is integral to like my mental health. Yes. And I imagine, especially with young kids, there's got to be a weird dichotomy of like, gosh, how much free time do you have that your house is so clean mm -hmm. without an understanding of like, no, 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 I do this for my own well-being and I thought that was an interesting take, especially as someone who is not home nearly as much right. as my wife. Like it gave me a lot of insight into kind of that that inner battle of like, okay, I I could just leave it. 
Uh, I could just kind of play with my kids, yep. but I my my brain doesn't seem to want to let me. Yep, I remember my wife saying to me a couple of years ago, uh, and you know, it hasn't always changed my actions, but it changed my perspective mm. that. You know, I'm the type who, like, on a Saturday, I don't want to spend a lot of our time cleaning, right? Like, I don't, right. like, hey, let's just go have fun. Let's go have fun. And I remember my wife telling me uh, at some point in our marriage, like, that she struggles to uh, to be able to turn her brain off, to be able to relax hmm. if there's a mess around. Hmm. And I don't work that way. Like, I can relax amidst the mess. <laughs> like, in the right, middle. I don't, right. like, I don't mean to make myself sound like I'm good with stuff just everywhere, but I'm okay with, like, Hey, we'll get to that later. Like, I, I still want to get to it, but let's do this now. But I do remember it being a, a little bit of an aha moment when she said uh, that when things are disorderly, as this author puts it, as this uh, uh, article puts it, when things are in disorder, uh, Carrie, I remember her telling me that, like, she then struggles to to be able to relax and to be able to enjoy right. being home. And so that the best thing I or the kids could do for her in those times is like, all right, let's get the place in order. Right. Not perfectly, but let's get it in order uh, so that um, we can then have a better time as a family relaxing. I, that was it. That was a uh, kind of a little bit of an aha moment for me. It doesn't always uh, work out well, but I think that understanding more of my wife's mindset right. towards the house was, was certainly very helpful. Well, and, and she mentions elsewhere too, that like, um, you know, often people are ridiculed if they have young kids and a, and a clean home and they'll be labeled things like neat freak. Yeah. And she says, honestly, that's kind of hurtful. And I never even really thought about that phrase as being hurtful. Like, Oh, my neatness is mm. directly tied to like my own mental well being, and to be called a freak or a germaphobe or like some of these things that, Honestly, they're pretty common. Yeah. Um, it is. It was pretty interesting to hear or to read in this article that uh, hey, this this is just how my brain works, yep. and I know that if I prioritize this, I'm actually a better mom mm-hmm. and a better wife. And um, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting that in this age and culture of like a lot of people, like hey, just let everyone be okay with the mess. It was helpful to read the perspective of someone else. Is like hey, the mess. Um, triggers all sorts of anxiety yeah. for me. This actually is better for us holistically if I'm uh, if I'm able to actually take care of that first. And uh, I don't know. I thought that was an interesting perspective. I think the takeaway for marriages is this is something you need to discuss and yeah, continue right. talking about. Right. Totally. All right. Well, coming up next, yesterday we had uh, the tragic news of Puerto Rico reeling after a powerful 6.4 earthquake. We're going to talk about that a little bit coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope you're ready. Hey everyone, Ian Simpkins here, and after we had this marriage conference with Thrivent and two other local churches, it kind of piqued my interest to learn more about this organization. We had such a good response with them at the conference, I was kind of interested in seeing what else they did, and so they actually provided me with this list of like 12 or 13 different topics that they offer free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously, and the thing that was crazy is that each of these topics were things that people in my church were actually asking me, things that I didn't really know how to talk about. And so they offered numerous free workshops for the people in our church to help them be wise with money and to live generously. And let me tell you, it was this really beautiful sort of no strings attached kind of a, we want to help you do this better. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with Thrivent and being really grateful for the ways that they were coming alongside us and the local churches around us. And if you're interested at all in learning more, I cannot encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. 
It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian James Fromm. Oh, good memory. Thank you so much. First time I've gotten that right in one full year. I'm trying to think if I know your middle name. I've definitely told you on air. I feel like it's David. It's not, but I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Michael. Wow. Did I get it? What if I told you no? I think by your reaction, I got it right. Yeah, you did get it right. So it took me two, though. Sorry about that. No, don't be. No, I am not nearly that sensitive to <laughs> care that you got my middle name wrong. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, wherever it is to get your podcast, on Twitter at Common Good Talk. And, uh, you know, sometimes there's stories where you and I, we've been stewing on a topic for a while, right. or it's something that we've taught or are currently teaching. Uh, and then sometimes stuff just happens in the world that it's like, I don't really know what we're going to say, but it, it feels important for us to talk about it. So Puerto Rico is reeling after a powerful uh, new 6.4 earthquake. And to me, I don't know if you looked at any of the photos or any of the video. Um, it's really terrifying. And I've never lived anywhere no. that experiences earthquakes at all. So I don't even really have any frame of reference. Um, But it says that the strongest tremor yet in a week of heavy seismic activity rocked Puerto Rico uh, early Tuesday morning, knocking out power to much of the island, seriously damaging homes uh, and buildings, and leaving at least one person dead. The 6.4 magnitude quake, which struck five miles southwest of Teleboa on Puerto Rico's southwest coast, was recorded at 4.24 a.m. local time, according to the United States Geological Survey. It was the second consecutive day that an earthquake hit the island before dawn. Mm. Terrifying residents scared about the cumulative effect on older buildings that may be unsafe. That's another like concern that I've never even really had to consider. Like, oh gosh, are these these older buildings in our neighborhood and our community are they even going to survive these right. quakes? Like, I'm first off, I think it's worth noting that we need to be praying for Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I don't know. Have you ever lived in a place that never. experienced? You've never have. I've so never felt like an no, earthquake in my life. No frame of reference none, for you. None. And they're terrifying to me when you see like footage of it on a, you know, like a security camera. But right. it's also like when you see the aftermath pictures of like, you know, buildings on cars and, right, you know, this right. and like things crumbling. Like I can't imagine the uneasiness and the... I, what I can't imagine also is the fear because usually a big earthquake is followed by a lot of smaller earthquakes that are still big. Right. But it's not like it's usually just one earthquake and right. that, that does it. Uh, and so living in that fear, I don't even, I, you know, having never lived through anything like that, it makes you wonder, like, how long does that fear stick with you? Like, are you constantly worried that you're about to, you know, it's hard to sleep at night? And, right, right. Uh, and so I'm with you. When I see those pictures, I have zero frame of reference. And uh, secondly, like just the amount of fear and, you know, Puerto Rico went through, what was it? Hurricane Maria, was it uh, that just ravaged the island? Like it's, you know, how much you, you just you, you're right. You pray for them and then you're uh, uh, you're just uh, your heart goes out to them for sure. Yeah, it's interesting even just reading some of the uh, responses from people living there who are looking at buildings and in one case a church. 
and simply saying things like, we will rebuild. For those who have lived here their whole lives, this is their history. Like there's mm. just this resolve that like, yep, this is our home. This is our history. This is our heritage. And we will rebuild. Again, a sentiment I've never really ever had to consider. And one that, you know, when we were talking with Food for the Poor and talking about some of the uh, the stuff going on in Haiti, like that was pretty mind-blowing to me that for some people that's their entire existence Correct. is – constant threat and fear of earthquakes or tsunamis or hurricanes or tornadoes. Like that's a, again, I mean, I've never really lived in an area where any of those were a real concern like that. What must that do to your individual psyche and like the collective ethos of a community to know somewhere in the back of your brain, like this is all, this is always a possibility. Yep. Yeah. For I'm with you. I've never lived, you know, in New Jersey, there'd be, There'd be hurricane warnings, but never anything big. I wasn't there for Hurricane Sandy or stuff like that. I've right. never lived through a tornado of any magnitude. Uh, and so, but <laughs> this is such a small scale, but year five, six, seven years ago, we had so much rain and the way my house is situated that we ended up like flooding our basement. Hmm. And you could be like, well, how does that fit with a hurricane, like a, an earthquake? And I remember to this day, five years later, every time it rains hard, I get worried. Like, I'm worried that my basement's going to go. What exponentially more must that be like when you live where somewhere where there's – you've experienced an earthquake? Yeah, right. Like, if I fear getting some water in my basement every time it rains because we got a lot of water one time, what must it be like if you've you've seen everything around you crumble literally – and uh, how you know how do you sleep well at night how do you let put your kids to bed like i right. can't the, the fear of it like right now the bigger deal is like how do you save the structures who's hurt like this that but the long lasting um repercussions psychologically and just the fear that it must come is is something that that has got to be really difficult well listen to this one uh quote from nelson rivera said i've never been so scared in my life i didn't think we would get out i said we'll be buried here Mm. I'm just trying to know that's that's like bone chilling mm-hmm. to to see all this happening and then to look at your circumstances and then to have someone with you and say, I don't this might be it like that. Yep. That is a level of terror that I don't I don't even think I have the capacity to really understand. And yep. I think that's the kind of stuff. And I, I bring this up one because it's, you know, it just happened. And I think it's important for us to talk about. But two, because. It is the reminder to me that there's so many other realities that are so different, so foreign to our own That's right. that many of us will never know anything about. And it's a very real reality to somebody else. And I think that's the beginning of empathy and mm-hmm. compassion in some mm-hmm. degrees to recognize, man, I don't, I don't actually have any idea what living a mile in your shoes must really mm-hmm. actually be like. Um, but at the very least, I want to understand or I want to help in some way or I want to, I want to support. I, I think, um, I don't know. This is the kind of thing that, you know, will be a, a news item for a couple of days and then it'll probably move on to something else. And for some people, this will have radically changed their existence for the rest of their lives, arguably. That was the crazy thing. That's why uh, it's helpful when you and I get to spend time with, say, like food for the poor. Yeah. When they're like describing the global um, or the uh, humanitarian crisis in Haiti and you're like, I don't have any. I never heard of this. I don't. Right. I can't fathom this. Or I think it's Puerto Rico, right? Where, uh, where from the hurricane a couple years ago, there's still places without electricity, and you're like, "What? Like, 
wait, no, we heard about this for a week and then it went away. And even right. in our own country, right? Like remember when Hurricane Katrina happened and it uh-huh. was a huge deal. And, but then, all, it, you know, something else comes on the news and you kind of move on, except the people who live there. And, right. Uh, and so I do think you're right that recognition is kind of that first step of empathy, like realizing. And sometimes it's hard to look at, right? You're like, I don't want to think about an earthquake. I don't want to think about a hurricane. Um, but uh, the the real task is going to be for the people to um, hopefully uh, move on in safety. But then also the real task is like the years ahead of rebuilding, not the weeks. Uh, but, you know, you think of the, the wildfires in Australia and you think of all these different things. And, and it does bring about empathy. Uh, we need to be praying. Uh, but it also reminds you that this world does things that are very fearful. But, you know, where do we find our <laughs> how do we. How do we not live in fear? And and I think as believers, uh, it's our opportunity to point ourselves and others to Jesus. But uh, yeah, we definitely need to be praying for the people of Puerto Rico and and looking for op- opportunities to help. This is an ongoing story, and, yeah, right. uh, but but important one to to be thinking about. Yeah, and definitely, I would say do yourself a favor. And even though some of them are pretty frightening, go and look at the photos. Like. Although we may not ever live in a place that uh, experiences stuff like this, I think it is important for us to, at the very least, come face-to-face with some of it. Like, okay, this is a very real reality. So for it's sure. not just sort of a lofty thoughts and prayers, but like a, okay, what, what's what's mine to do here in this situation? I think that's just a really difficult but really important question. I think it's a great point. You know, pray for the church down there. Pray yeah. for those who are helping. Uh, and, and I think it's also important, like you said, to keep uh, – allowing yourself to be educated by what's happening just because yeah. it's not, uh, doesn't lead our news. Doesn't mean it's gone away. Yeah. Right. And so allow yourself to be educated by things that are even outside your sphere. Yep. Totally agree. All right. Well, coming up next, uh, here's something that you and I have talked about before the holidays a little bit, giving our children experiences instead of toys actually boosts both their intelligence and their happiness. We're going to talk about that coming up next here on the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us, not really us, digital representations <laughs> of us and the show. Also, Producer John. I'm going to start giving Producer John more more props. He's an integral part of the show. Maybe if we keep giving him props, he'll start getting paid for what he does. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's a joke, people. It's a joke. He gets paid. <laughs> uh, you it's, like winked at me. It's not a joke. It's not they a can't joke, see guys. the wink, Brian. They don't, they don't know that's going on. Uh, all right, so on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. Also on Twitter at Common Good Talk and uh, podcast. I think I think you can tell Alexa or your Google Dot, play me The Common Good. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. Mm. There's probably a more popular Common Good somewhere out there. It's just <laughs> How dare that you? <laughs> <laughs> just, well, give it a shot then. You you have a Dot, don't you? Or Alexa or Alexa, something? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Give it, give it a shot. Add that to the list of things I'm going to try. <laughs> I think you already have added that to the list. Yes. Anywho, so here's the headline. It's a topic we talked about uh, a couple of times before the holidays and something that has been on my mind a lot as my kids get older and as my house becomes more and more populated with uh, noise-making plastic items that I don't know where they came from. <laughs> <laughs> Are people passing down a lot of things to you? Um, I don't know if it's passing down. I think it's like... I think it's people just buying gifts for the, yeah, for the kids, too. you know, and they have birthdays. And so we had older cousins. So we got a lot of uh, oh. not me, like my kids did. And so 
you, it was I remember it being the wave of like you get a lot of stuff for birthdays or Christmas or this, but then all of a sudden other like boxes of stuff would right, show up. Right, and you'd right. Be like, Whoa. Yeah, and maybe, you know, again, we grew up um we certainly had toys and stuff, but there it was I, I wanna remember it being more simple, but maybe it wasn't. Yeah. Anyway, the headline says giving your children experiences instead of toys boost their intelligence and their happiness. Recent studies have revealed that giving your child too many things to play with can result in the opposite of the desired effect. They may actually be less happy. Childhood development researcher Claire Lerner, which is a good name for a researcher. That is an awesome <laughs> name. <laughs> I'm a learner. Uh, suggests that when children are showered with toys and games, they start playing less. An abundance of toys can overwhelm and distract kids, making them lose the concentration needed to learn from these toys. Learners' discoveries were mirrored by Michael Malone, a professor of early childhood education at the University of Cincinnati. Malone's studies showed that fewer but better toys lead to increased cooperation and sharing when it comes to valuable life skills. Furthermore, too many toys push children into more solitary play mm. while causing a type of unproductive overload. I'm going to stop there and just your kid's a little older. What do you what do you think of that so far? I think it's 100% true. I think I remember my kids being younger and just being overwhelmed by the number of stuff. And then you'd go in their room and be like, man, like it feels like 80% of this you haven't played with. And so I could remember my wife like literally switching toys out so they knew there were certain toys still there. Right. Uh, so I totally get this, like that it has an effect where they get overwhelmed of like, I don't know what to do. Right. Uh, yeah, no, I think there's a lot of truth to this. It goes on and says, uh, in an Oxford University study of 3,000 three to five-year-olds, it was discovered that the academic success of children was more tied to their home environment and parents' involvement than to the toys and electronics they were given. The kids who had few toys and no electronic devices but had parents who spent more time with them, performed better in school, and in many areas of emotional and social development, suggesting that parents' attention is much better than any screen or toy money can buy, mm -hmm. which is not that groundbreaking. I think on the surface, most people would go, yeah, I know. But we all just got through holidays where we probably wrapped more gifts than we knew what to do with. Yeah, probably. And there are certainly days, I don't want to in any way imply that sometimes, man, just I got to turn the TV on to get a break. Yes. Right? You are freaking out. This is the only thing that I think that's all perfectly fine. Um, just a Cornell University psychology professor, Thomas Gilovich, uh, led multiple studies spanning f uh, for decades and found that happiness is derived from experiences, yeah. not material possessions. To wrap it all up, happiness derived from childhood experiences is far more precious and valuable than the fleeting excitement of toys under the Christmas tree. Giving experiences that involve time spent as a family rather than giving toys brings far greater happiness and joy. So, dear parents, don't worry about the presents and focus on making memories. Again, way easier said than done. Yep. And I like that it actually links to some real scientific research because it, this is one of those things that I think can sort of exist in the universe of pithy truisms like, yeah. oh, give them your presents, not more presents, <laughs> that, that kind of stuff, which like is, it. you know – Still true. I still believe it. But yep. to find that there actually is neurological, physiological uh, ramifications to like overstimulus and overselection yep. and that there actually is a lot of developmental health in developing patterns of memories and experiences. Yeah. I, I think that's a really uh, it's a really, really important thing for parents to consider. It always it is always good to see research that um that gives some weight to what you feel like as a parent. And, right. Right. Uh, so I, <laughs> my wife and I feel like we do some things good and some things not so good. Right. And right. I feel like something that we've gotten better at is this concept hmm. of like, 
we are going to have uh, we are going to have some mundane experiences, but also some special experiences, especially around the holidays, with our kids as a family. Right, and uh, it's interesting to see the way our kids just embrace it. They really, really? enjoy it. So, for example, uh, over the over the Christmas kind of over Christmas break uh, between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, they had to sacrifice a little bit. We took money that was going to be spent on them for gifts. Uh, and we said to them, Hey, here's what we want to do. We want to go down. We want to get a hotel room in Chicago hmm. and the five of us will go down. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to have, we're going to do fun stuff on both ends of, you know, on both days, you guys can help us plan it. And there was not one moment where the kids were like, no, I'd rather have more gifts. Really? Like, really? We can do that. That'll be fun. And, Nice. It was the highlight of Christmas break. That's it awesome. was the our little family. We didn't go to the Bahamas, which is yeah. great if you did. Good luck, you know. Right, we'll right. To you. <laughs> we drove that to downtown Chicago and walked Michigan Avenue and uh, went to a nice restaurant, but only bought dessert. Not the right. Like, there's ways to do this even right. on a budget. Uh, and what is it that my kids remember from Christmas break? One of the things they most remember is our, you know, 36 hours in the city right. and our exploring and our staying in a hotel all in the same room. Like they are going to I'm convinced that when my kids are older and out of our house and we all gather together as a family, that's what they're going to talk about. Right. Remember when we drove to the East Coast. Remember when we did this. Remember right. when we went to Chicago. Uh, it doesn't mean they don't like the gifts. They loved opening the gifts on Christmas morning. But I do think, especially even when your kids are young, when you can begin orienting your life to at least be. Uh, to begin thinking about what are the experiences we as a family can plan mm. and budget for and have, I think it will bond your family in a way that that I think all of us long for it to do. And so, uh, if I could give a plug for that, I, I would I would go for that as parents. So, what what advice would you give to the parent? Like you just explained how y- your kid's reaction to the experience idea was ideal. Right, mm-hmm. that's what every parent hopes the reaction will be. What what do you yeah. say to the parent who's like, man? I don't know how to turn the ship around. My my kids are already like a little too addicted to toys and electronics. Yeah. And how how would you encourage someone to take even a baby step in the direction you're talking about? Yeah, that's an interesting question. It makes me think of a family that I know uh, who they literally around Christmas, they've titled it uh, Forced Family Fun. <laughs> and they like – their family loves it, but that's what they call it. Like we're yeah. having like – I think they call it like 12 days of forced family fun or something – and they make it, they do it together as a family. So what I, one thing, one baby step is I would get your kids input on it. Yeah. Hey, mom and dad are, bud, you know, we want to do one night of something special as a family. Here's some options. Right. I'm, I'm a believer. Now there's, I'm sure there are, there are outliers, but I think for the vast majority of kids and families out there, the kids want to do this kind of things with their siblings mm. and their parents. And so, uh, you know, taking baby steps. Hey, instead of like going out for two days, we're going to go look at Christmas lights in this neighborhood this week. You know, we're going to do this. I think you're, I may be a little Pollyanna about it, but I think your kids are going to be excited and embrace it. Even if in the beginning they're going, Ugh, I just yeah, want right. to stay home and play on my phone or go out with my friends. But nope, tonight as a family, you're still the parent. Right. So tonight we're going to go do this. Uh, but you know, when you got kids your age, your kids' age, I do think the more you can put this in early, yeah. doesn't mean you can't add it late. Right. But the more you can put it in early, I think the the more of a family tradition it'll become. I f- I'm feeling inspired, Brian. Thank that's you. A, that's a good. Go for it. <laughs> that's a good word. Experience is not. Stuff. But think about even you. You guys drove to Michigan, right? yeah, and and there were probably parts of it that were a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, just the driving portion of it. 
But there's probably things you could do or did do along the way yep. that you could turn into a tradition. And your kids are going to remember, like, oh, when we go to Michigan, we do this. And, and those are the kinds of things we're talking about. Totally agree. Well, I hope that was uh, encouraging, challenging in some capacity. And uh, if you have any thoughts or suggestions about how to do that better, we uh, we are all ears. That's something that I think um, – you know, as parents, we want to always be learners and we want to be growing in our understanding of what it is, what it looks like to raise our kids in a increasingly digital, uh, like device centered culture. And uh, I think we need each other. We need to encourage each other to uh, to take some of those sometimes courageous steps towards doing the, uh, the less normal thing. I think that's uh, an important thing. We're listening to The Common Good right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us all over the World Wide Web on Facebook. And I do need to, somebody mentioned this the other day, like I typed in The Common Good and you didn't show up. I found a different <laughs> show. You got to type in The Common Good Radio Show. You'll see our smiling Photoshop faces. I know that they're Photoshop, by the way, because neither of our teeth are that bright at all. That is a true statement. I mean, I didn't want to out both of us. You did, but I, that is a true statement. The smoking has gotten to us over the years. Okay, this this is where <laughs> you get into trouble. So uh, on Twitter at Common Good Talk, 1160hope.com slash the common good, and uh, wherever it is you get podcast. if that is you, if you're listening and you're thinking, that's me, I'm listening on a podcast right now. If, uh, if you would mind, it would help us out a ton if you would like, subscribe, and review, and then hit that little share button, send it to someone else that you think might appreciate it. We're still a new show, so that all really does help us out a whole lot. And uh, I wanted to talk about this article that I found from the Gospel Coalition. It says, the ancient problem of discontentment. It's not a topic that we've really delved that deeply into, but I feel like it's a theme that has sort of poked its head up a couple of times. Like, what do we do with discontentment? How do we actually, I like how it actually begins. It says, discontentment is a problem as old as time. God had created Adam and Eve in perfect relationship with himself and each other, they lived in a beautiful world, free to eat from any tree except one. But they wanted precisely what they didn't have. Um, do you find that to be like a pretty common posture, even in today's culture? Like everyone I think so. I, they can't have. What is interesting is, I think a lot of times I'm guilty of this when I preach. We, or I will, I will um, kind of uh, frame discontentment as a newer problem. Yeah, like. Hey, now we've got all this stuff around us. It just makes us more jealous, whatever. You know, we have more discontentment. And I think it's helpful in this article, and it's referencing a book by Jeremiah Burroughs called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, that uh, to say, hey, no, this goes back to the beginning, <laughs> the, to the want not to have. It says, for Burroughs, discontentment strikes right at the heart of God's character. When we question our circumstances, we doubt his wisdom and power. Uh, that is discontentment. Yeah, I think I feel this in my own life. Like I, I don't want to just say, "Oh yeah, I see this in my church," I or in our culture. I feel this in my own life. Going, yeah, you know, I've got healthy wife and kids, and I've got this great church, whatever else. But if only I could have, right. if only this, if right. only that. Uh, so, uh, and it's not just have. It's you know, uh, maybe it's it, it, we can be discontent about all sorts of different things, and so. Uh, you ask, is this still something that you see in our – I think I see it culturally. I see it in the church. I see it in my own life. So here's uh, here's four steps, four ways to diagnose discontentment, which I do want to say I do think that there is such thing as like righteous discontentment. Like I'm discontent mm. with uh, injustice in my community. I'm discontent with a lifeless marriage or, you know, like yeah. making steps towards – I think that there are places for us to feel rightly discontent, but that's – I don't think what he's getting at here. So – uh, the first one, 
He says, so this is again taken from um, from Jeremiah Burroughs, who wrote this book uh, called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. I don't know. Are you familiar with Burroughs at Not all? Not at all. Not at all. He, there's a quote that I used to use of his for a long time talking about – I'm going to butcher it, but he said something like, if we find ourselves – discontent or the things of this world not satisfying, it can only mean that we were created for something beyond simply what we see or something like that. Some kind of like there's a deep kind of spiritual engine behind why we often find ourselves so discontent. So here are the four four ways to diagnose this discontentment based on uh, Jeremiah Burroughs. The first one may surprise you. It says hate sin Uh, from his book. He says the way of contentment is to add – uh, another burden, that is, to labor, to load, and burden your heart with your sin. The heavier the burden of your sin is to your heart, the lighter the burden of your affliction will be to your heart, and so you shall come to be content. Contentment is more than looking on the bright side. We shouldn't seek just to make ourselves happy in the situation we're in. If that's our foundation, what will happen when God brings pain or suffering? Instead, Burroughs shows we must attack discontentment at its root. We expel it from our hearts by moving our focus away from our suffering. When we view our sin as the greatest evil in the world, virtually any suffering we face will pale in comparison. That's awesome. Number two, look ahead. Burroughs writes, a godly man in the midst of the waves and storms that he meets with can see the glory of heaven before him and so contents himself. One drop of the sweetness of heaven is enough to take away all the sourness and bitterness of all the afflictions in the world. And the article goes on to say, we're not long in this world. If all our energy is spent fretting about our life here, what energy will remain to contemplate the life to come? There are a few things I found as helpful to my pursuit of contentment as meditating on eternity. Huh. Any hardship here is bearable when we know with the Apostle Paul that, quote, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That's what he wrote in Second Corinthians four seventeen. Do you find that eternal perspective helpful uh, in your own life or for other people and or difficult to have? Yeah, I would say probably both probably with a caveat even that I think um, sometimes we have a very – it's easy to adopt a sort of escapist theology Mm -hmm. where like, hey, uh, everything's falling apart right here, but I got heaven to look forward to. It's kind of the idea behind some of our old hymns, like I'll fly away. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, I would add also that we worship a savior that enters into the brokenness of Mm -hmm. humanity, the pain and suffering of being a human. And I think uh, I would be remiss not to say that I think it is a both and. I think having an internal perspective is really helpful. But that doesn't mean that we just sort of breeze past whatever kind of current affliction we or someone we you know we love is facing. For sure. The third one is interesting too. He says, "Embrace humility." Again, from Burroughs' book, a man who is little in his own eyes will account every affliction as little and every mercy as great. Discontentment springs from unmet expectations. We think we deserve an easy life with comforts and luxuries, so we become discontent when instead we face sickness or hardship. Yet, if we soberly examine ourselves in light of Scripture, we'll see we deserve nothing. Uh, in general, that such humility allows his grace to flood our hearts. We can rejoice in the gifts he's given us rather than dwelling on what we think he's withheld. We mm-hmm. talked about this a little bit actually earlier in the show, this idea that like um, if we just simply – it's more it needs to be more than simply thinking positively or like look at the bright side or the silver lining. I think to me this all gets at the heart of what being completely overwhelmed by grace yeah. is supposed to look like that. Man, I'm not owed – any of this. Yeah. And so, you know, even breath in my lungs right now is a gift. I think if you could start to see things even as simple as breath as a gift, mm. uh, that does, I think, begin to kind of chip away at some of the discontent we might feel. That's good. Number four in this list is rely on the word. Burroughs writes, 
Oh, the word holds forth a way full of comfort and peace to the people of God, even in this world. You may live happy lives in the midst of all the storms and tempests in the world. Uh, and this article goes on to list different um, uh, different verses. How can we grumble when we have grand promises like uh, take my yoke upon you, my yoke is easy, uh, and, and others. And he goes on to say, regularly immersing ourselves in the Bible enables us to see and grasp these promises and draw strength from seeing how faithfully God has kept his word in the past. They're our anchor in the fiercest tempest. I think that is really helpful. Hmm. I want to read some of the passages here, actually, because I, I think these are, I don't know, some of them will be familiar, but to be first quotes, Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy uh, laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Romans day 28, and we know... That for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And then 1 Peter 1, 3-4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And I think, uh, again, Especially, I think a lot of people are probably thinking through New Year's resolutions, yeah. and they're they're wanting to uh, leave the past behind them, which I think is actually a pretty that can be a very biblical charge. The idea of starting a new year and like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to a diet plan, I'm gonna get a sweet new haircut, I'm gonna repaint the house, all of those things are good, but I don't think any of them, like this author is saying, really get at the root of our discontentment. Yeah. And I think whether you agree, and I don't think I necessarily agree with all of the. Theology sure. outlined here in this article, and we can probably get into that later. But um, in general, the idea, though, of discontentment won't be solved by simply dealing with sort of external circumstances. Right. As good as some of those things are, get a new haircut, right? Paint your house. That's fine. Um, but that doesn't really get to the root of some of that. Yeah. And I think uh, I think this author has some good suggestions. I do, too. It sounds like a fascinating book. But uh, we don't live in a culture that makes contentment easy. So I think having to think through it and work through these, have these conversations, I do believe is very important. Yeah, and I think in general, keeping in mind too that, uh, you know, Jeremy Burroughs is a Puritan writer and yes. I think they got a lot of things right, but I think they got a lot of things wrong too, to be honest. So, you know, reading that all with a grain of salt is, uh, I think, significant. But in general, um, yeah, admit, what if that became like our pursuit for this next year was mm. to to seek uh, like deep abiding soul contentment and not just because I don't know about you like I can certainly be as inclined to discontentment as anybody absolutely and you start to notice like man I'm spending a lot of time dwelling on what I don't have or what isn't going the way that I wanted to or whatever and uh, that doesn't go anywhere you know it's just like spinning your wheels and I think that's something that for me in this new year that I would love for us to sort of uh, maybe even as a show to spend some time intentionally focusing on because I think that's important well, coming up next, we're going to land the plane the way that we do every single show with some interweb insanity stories we have not read, sound effects we have not heard, uh, selected from our producers, by our producers, and uh, we're going to read them sight unseen. Coming up next, here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. I think we are all familiar with that music by now. Mm-hmm. i got to stop calling it music. It's not really... Intro. Yeah, that sounds... That, that <laughs> wall of noise can mean only one thing. It is the end of the show, almost, which means time for Interweb Insanity, 
which of course is uh, a collection of stories that our producers have selected for us mm-hmm. that we have not read, we have not seen them at all, and they also have chosen corresponding sound effects. We have no idea what they are. Sometimes, I don't think Brian and I get the joke, nope, which is we don't. extra funny. And um, is there anything else I need to tell I people nailed it. to warn them? How many Florida? Be careful do we have for today? Florida. That's yeah, what I was saying. <laughs> I'm going over. How many do are there? Always five total. Five, yeah. five. I'm guessing one Florida today. How okay. about you? I'm going to guess a Jersey. Oh, a Jersey. Oh. Okay. All right. Take us away. Canada Air Canada Express flight loses wheel after takeoff. Land safely in Montreal. Oh. The new year got off to a shaky start for some Air Canada Express passengers and crew Friday when their plane lost one of the wheels on the landing gear just after takeoff. So I'm currently on a plane that just lost a wheel, wrote French-speaking passenger in a tweet alongside a video of the wheel coming off. Oh, my god! 2020 is starting off rather well. Uh, this flight was taking off from Montreal Trudeau International Airport when one of the two wheels on the left main landing gear detached. Uh, there were 49 passengers and three crew members, and no injuries were reported. Oh, uh, you told me about about. <laughs> That's okay. Oh, that was it? Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we have a problem. <laughs> All right. Here we go. England. First British astronaut Helen Sharman believes aliens exist and may be here right now. That was Ooh. a quote. The first British person to ever go into space believes that aliens are real and they may be among us. Helen Sharman, who in May 1991 made history as the first Brit to go to space when she launched, uh, when she was launched on the spacecraft Soyuz for the eight. Is that how you say that? It looks right. All right. For eight days and visited the Soviet-operated space station Mir. Mir. Uh, Oh, it is Mir. Yeah, I Mir. knew that one. Jeez, Louise Simpkins. <laughs> told, told the observer. Did I read that correctly? <laughs> well played. About her belief in extraterrestrial forces in an interview published Sunday. There are so many billions of stars out there in the universe that there must be all sorts of different forms of life. She added that the beings may not be made of carbon and nitrogen, two of the composite elements in the human body, but rather of materials unseen by the human eye. But somewhere out there, something is watching us. There are alien forces acting in ways we can't perceive. Are we alone in the universe? Impossible. When you consider the wonders that exist all around us. Voodoo priests of Haiti. The Tibetan numerologists of Appalachia. The unsolved mysteries of unsolved mysteries. (laughs) I like running commentary through things. Next one's England. Oh, couple, two Englands. Yeah, a couple wins lottery. Son declared cancer-free in truly amazing three-day period. Whoa. A couple in England is celebrating their lifelong dreams coming true after winning the lottery just days before their teenage son was declared cancer-free. John and Allison McDonald of Stockton-on-Tees in County Durham, England, won the $2 million, uh, two million pounds? Is that pounds? Uh, yeah, that is pounds. Lotto <laughs> jackpot, which is $2.6 million in one of the last draws of 2019. Uh, after realizing he'd actually matched all six numbers, he said his legs began to tremble and he called to confirm the win. Just three days later, the couple received even better news that their 15-year-old son, uh, Ewan, I'm like, Ewan, <laughs> had been given the all clear from his battle with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Ewan had been receiving chemotherapy treatment for the past year, according to the National Lottery. Are you crying? Am I crying? No, I'm not crying. You're crying. You don't think that name Ewan. is Ewan? Ewan. <laughs> You're going to go with, what did you go with? Uh, Ewan. You don't think it's Ewan? I don't think so. All right. I have no idea. Ah, there it is. There, hello, Florida. Florida. 
Woman escapes unharmed as her car plunges into a pool. Y'all, you have to see. This picture. Well, okay, we'll post this actual article to the Facebook then because that's phenomenal. According to the Florida Highway Patrol, a Pasco County woman lost control of her car this morning and ended up in a community swimming pool. Trooper said Audrey Bullet Reeves was driving when she went over a curb, went through some bushes, hit a fence, and ended up in an adjacent trailer park swimming pool. Luckily, the driver was able to escape unharmed through the rear window as her car submerged, said troopers. <laughs> That's it? Just the sound of someone splashing in the water? I love that she was cited for careless driving. Even better, her last name is Bullet. That is good. Why? <laughs> I was thinking the Reeves thing because of Keanu Reeves, because of the movie Speed, but I just couldn't piece the joke together. But, Missouri, last one. <laughs> woman dozes, spends night after testing store mattress. I saw this one. A woman is a little embarrassed, but well-rested after falling asleep, testing a mattress at a Missouri store, and spending the entire night there. Richmond Heights police officer Allison Brown told the St. Louis Post-Dispatch that officers were called to the undisclosed store shortly before 8 a.m. Tuesday after a worker found the woman wandering inside the business prior to its opening. Oh, gosh. The woman told police she had been trying out a display mattress the evening before and must have fallen asleep. Police posted on social media that it was the best mattress endorsement we've ever heard. <laughs> store operators declined to press charges. Rise and shine. Come on. Come on. Get up. Get up. Come on! Come on, it's 6 o'clock. Rise and shine. Rise and shine. Come on. Come! What about Bob? Yeah. Can we just ask, the, the unanswered question in that story is, there had to be workers there who then locked the doors. Uh-huh. Did they not see her just sleeping yeah, on a mattress? They're like, oh, one of the mannequins fell over. Yeah, they're or, like, oh, she looks like she's peaceful. Just you think leave so? it. No, I think they didn't do their <laughs> job well. <laughs> How alarming must it have been to wake up, though, yes. in that store? I get weirded out if I wake up, like, in a hotel sometimes. They come That's... up later, like, they open the store. She's like, I'll take that one. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Well, never a dull moment here on The Common Good. We hope you join us tomorrow and every day from 4 to 6 p.m. on The Common Good, right here, AM 1160. Hope for your life. 